Hello and welcome to Hot Girls. This week we are going to be exploring the life of the soulful, seductive, romantic and rather mysterious uh, Sade Adu. One of the most successful female artists in the history of British music, Sade's sound was so iconic and it blended bits of jazz, soul and funk to create something really timeless which has been lusted after for decades. I was actually at dinner on the weekend and someone practically shouted at me when I said I was covering Sade (laughs) saying I love Sade! As well as being iconic, Sade's had amazing longevity, releasing a successful album every decade since her initial kind of three albums that she released in the 80s. I knew her face and then I heard Soldier of Love and I was like, who is this incredible woman? One of the amazing things about Sade was that she achieved an incredible amount of success without being an active figure in the media. She lived in Jamaica for many years, away from the eyes of the press, and she's lived in Gloucestershire for the past few years. And she still, every album that she's released, has performed really well commercially without being everywhere. I'm really interested in this because I think many young up-and-coming artists are most likely being told by their managers and people they're surrounded by to have a prominent presence on social media. And I have a bit of a feeling that they're saying it more to women than they are to men. So I want to see if I can unpack a little bit how you can maybe have success like Sade did without tweeting six times a day. Of course, if you want to do that, that's your bag. But I just feel like not everyone likes being online all the time. And there must be there must be other ways to get your music out there. So I hope you enjoy getting a bit more familiar with Sade. I'm also going to look at uh, her commercial success and how she defined her sound. So let's go. Ladies, listen up. You're listening to Hot Girls. With Lex on the deck. We in the mix. It's fire. Keep it going. We on fire. From London for the world. Let's go in. On the 16th of January... 1959, Helen Folashade Adu was born in Nigeria. Anne, her mum, was a nurse from England, and Adabisi, her dad, was a lecturer in economics who was from Nigeria. Helen's parents, Helen will at some point become Sade, if that wasn't apparent. They'd met in London and they'd married four years before Sade was born and then moved to Nigeria after they married. When she was then four years old, her parents separated and she moved to a small town in Essex, which is where she then grew up, in Colchester, actually. She says the environment that she grew up in was very white and her and her brother at that point were the only black people in her school. Um, But she said it was like a kind, inquisitive space rather than a negatively prejudiced one, which she could have had. She just said they were the nurse's kids and that's how they were known. My mother deprived me. We had... Um, so we have about three records in our house. I didn't, I didn't grow up surrounded by music. Um, I was surrounded by strange instruments. My mother was a nurse and we had this room in our house that had all these strange medical instruments because she was like the district nurse, the nurse of the town sort of thing, <laughs> that I grew up in. But no musical instruments. After school, Sade and... I will call her Sade from this point because it, it could get a little bit confusing. But just to clear up, her band was called Sade, 
but so was she, but she was kind of Sade Adu. So hopefully you'll be able to follow when I'm talking about the band and when I'm talking about her. She went to Central St. Martins to study fashion, actually, which was the same university or college as MIA, who we covered earlier. And also, if you guys know the DJ Peggy Goo, um, she also studied fashion uh, in London. So some, some parallels there. Sade was almost reluctantly pulled to music. So after some old school friends formed a band, they asked her to join as a vocalist, which she said she would do until they found a proper singer. And then I think through that process found her voice. So then when an audition came up to be a backing singer for a touring band, she went along with enthusiasm, ready to sing. But she actually got rejected the first time around. They weren't into it. So instead of being embarrassed or deterred, Sade was convinced that she was capable of doing this. So she went back to the team and basically said, you're wrong, I'm really good, I should be in this band, and uh, re-auditioned for them. And that was how she got her first proper professional role in the music industry, as a backup singer for a group called Pride. band toured the UK and they had a bit of success but they didn't manage to get a record deal. As part of the band, uh, Sade co-wrote a song with some of the band members and she performed this song solo and her delivery of this attracted the attention of a few record companies. So then she, her and a couple of the bandmates decided to kind of go in their own direction. They took that single and they performed it and they ended up getting signed in 1983, signing with Epic Records, which is a quite big label, which sits under Sony Music. The label had been around for coming up to 30 years at the point when, when they were signed and they're still around today. Sade was about 24 at the time and one of her first gigs which was involved in the signing process of them was at the nightclub Heaven in London which you might know iconic venue still going they actually didn't let me in once because they thought I was too much on the ally side of LGBTQA which is fair enough but uh less about me and clubbing more about Sade I'm going to take a little break out from the story of Sade to talk about establishing your sound. Sade Adu has largely worked with the same core team of musicians for the past 35 years. So these are her saxophonist, Stuart Matthewman, bassist, Paul Denman, and keyboardist, Andrew Hale. So bass, saxophone, keyboard. 35 years they've worked together and their most played song on Spotify now is Smooth Operator, which was the first single they ever worked on together. They did this demo tape and it had Smooth Operator and Your Love Is King on, which is another one of their really iconic songs. And that's what was taken around to the record companies to sign them. Initially, all the labels turned them down because they said the tracks were too long and jazzy. And the labels apparently were like, don't you know what's happening? Everything's all about drums now. And then a big part of why they signed her was because they were convinced by her voice and her presence. They then tried to get her to work with people like Quincy Jones and like really big producers. But Sade was committed to the sound that she'd started to find with her band. And so she made sure that those those artists that she then went to work with for 35 years came with her. And they developed their own sound and they kept creating from London rather than going over to the States. So, yeah, that's how they built their sound and that's how they committed to what they wanted to do. And that's how they've made loads of money. In 1985, when Sade released her major label debut, Diamond Life, in the U.S., 
the American Top 10 was dominated by high-gloss hair bands. Smooth Operator was released by the band later, but the single which was used to then launch Sade into the bright lights of fame and success was Your Love is King, which is a sultry, smooth song with a very prominent saxophone. I would actually say as you watch her music go on, the saxophone is one of the things that's dialed up and dialed down in different ways and it kind of sets the records apart. Both songs uh, were released as singles off the album Diamond Life, which charted at number two in the UK and number five in the US, which is not bad for a first album. They didn't even mess around with an EP. Uh, Already at this time, Sade had found her image. And if you're a performer, your image is undeniably important. And Sade, as a front woman in the face of that band, had an image which was as smooth and timeless as her music. Looking at her made me think that she probably actually had a big impact on Snow Allegra, who's a soulful singer whose latest album, Ugh, This Feels Again, has done really, really well. Definite some some resonances there. The band then followed the success of that up swiftly within a couple of years with the album Promise. Recording for that album began in February and lasted until August 1985. And most of it was done in a studio in London. The album went to number one in the UK and the US and they did a world tour. So in the mid 80s, they were on top, basically. And it was also the first time that Sade won a Grammy for Best New Artist. The single, The Sweetest Taboo, actually stayed in the American charts for six months, which is phenomenal. And I think shows the power of the right song, that people can be continually buying a song for that rate, for that amount of time. Six months, which is roughly 24 weeks, puts that song alongside Adele's Rolling in the Deep. Um, and Adele would probably be another artist who is following some of the some of the rules that Sade laid down when it comes to success. I tried to get some detail on the marketing of that album, actually, because it did so well. And it sounds like it really was predominantly a combination of some strong photos, uh, some good PR and quality music, which together made a very powerful brand. I'm going to play you a little clip of Drake talking about that brand that was established here and then maintained for the next 30 years over to Drizzy. I mean, to me, Sade is such a, like, probably one of the strongest brands out right now, period. You know, her brand is just always protected. And I think that's why other people, other people's visuals, other people's songs, like stepping out of your zone can jeopardize your brand. It can bring you down as opposed to bring you up. So, how has she made so much money? <laughs> um, so, uh, Sade's worth an estimated 60 to $70 million, which is quite a lot of money. Um, in the 80s, when she first signed her record deal, she accepted a relatively small advance in exchange for a higher cut of sales than a new artist would normally get. Now, um, the way it works is you basically get given a chunk of money up front and then a percentage of your sales. But generally, people want a bigger chunk up front because it's the bit that you can see. However, over time, obviously, record labels then do quite well because, you know, over the 10, 15, 20, 30 years, the sales then make up uh, a chunk. So she was freed from a lot of the commercial demands. And as we go through her albums, you'll see she didn't, after the 80s, she didn't release them very consistently. She was able to do this because she was still making, because she made more money commercially off her singles than most artists have done. And every single album she's released has sold platinum. And every single album has also sold globally. The album which came next was Stronger Than Pride. 
The single which shares the name of the album's title is softer than some of Sade's earlier music and I feel like she was very in love when the album was written. Love is stronger than pride, paradise, nothing can come between us. There's a romantic message there. This was released in 1988 and actually in 1989, age 30, she was married to the film director Carlos Pliejo and the couple moved from London to Madrid. It's credit to Sade's privacy ability that it's not actually clear whether that was her first marriage or not. Some say it was, some say that she'd previously been married. I think it's fair to say that she's quite a romantic person and loves pretty hard. The album which came from that period of her life was Love Deluxe, which produced one of her most celebrated singles, No Ordinary Love. The video for that single, actually, Sade absolutely loves. She worked with her friend Sophie Muller and she plays a mermaid trying to be a bride like Ariel. Uh, she said of the album and the lessons she was processing at that time, it's not hard to find love, it's hard to keep it. Yeah, yeah I've been hurt, you know, just like the rest. I'm, I'm easily hurt, but I think it's like a defense mechanism. It's like there's different ways. You know, I'm one of those people, I'm very calm, but when somebody winds me up, as an English expression, you know, when somebody makes me angry, I blow my fuse and I explode. And uh, I have to avoid doing that, basically, and, and sit back and just sort of try and cut myself off and just say that, you know who you are, Sade, you know, you know what's right uh, about yourself, you know what's bad about yourself, what's good about yourself, and then just cut the rest off. Otherwise, you just, you can't sort of stand on a, a soapbox and scream, you know, uh, understand me. People, you just have to wait, and in time people will, and in time people believe the right things. In 1994, we're there, a greatest hits compilation titled The Best of Sade was released from the band. Sade officially got divorced from her first husband in 95 and then it seems like she went through quite a difficult time of recovery from that. As a romantic person, I think she definitely mourned the loss of that love, which obviously when you get married, you think it's going to last forever. That's sort of the point of marriage. So I think she saw that mourning process as part of loving someone. Like it would be disrespecting the deep emotions of love to then all of a sudden be over it. She said in an interview, it took five years for it not to be something that affected the way I felt. It wasn't like I was crawling out of bed every day or anything like that, but it would have really undermined love for me to get over it quickly. If you really love someone, that's the way it is. By 1998, Sade was living in Jamaica with Bob Morgan, who's a music producer the couple had a child and actually a lot later in 2017 that child came out as transgender undergoing six months of surgery to transition into having a male body. Isaac praised his mother for her support saying thank you for staying by my side these past six months. Thank you for fighting with me to complete the man I am. As it's Pride Month I just wanted to include that beautiful little moment. But in 1998, despite generally being out of the spotlight, an arrest warrant was issued for Sade in Jamaica after she failed to show up for reckless driving charges. This is one of the few real scandals that she was involved in. Uh, MTV reported that she had led police officers on a high-speed chase and then cursed at them when she pulled over. It sounds like something out of a James Bond film. And it's like quite a chaotic scene for someone who's so attached to serenity and composure. Sade said the allegations were untrue and actually the police were after a bribe. So she ended up having to leave the country with a ban from returning until 2002 and had to separate from her child temporarily. Back in the UK and a couple more years later, Sade Adu and her band released their fifth studio album, Lovers Rock. 
I think my favourite track from this is By Your Side, which is also the commercially most successful track there. There's a definite melancholy to the record and the sound is sparser and less jazzy than some of their earlier music. Two years later came another album, Lovers Live. Unlike most artists, Charlotte didn't have the financial need, as I said, to get back in the studio and make new records because her music kept selling, um, the band's music kept selling continuously, like outside of its promotional window. No doubt, it's still making her a ton of money from streaming. And actually, on a recent Spotify glance, they had about three and a half million monthly listens, which is pretty strong considering how little of her music has been released since streaming platforms picked up. After Lovers Live came another eight-year gap before they then released more music, during which time she moved to the British countryside in rural Gloucestershire, where they raised her and her new partner's child. I'm now going to spotlight momentarily on Sade's relationship with fame to understand how she sees it. And while social media wasn't a thing when she started, media absolutely was. So you still had to make a decision either to embrace a spotlight or actively avoid it. So she talks about a defining moment where she she really kind of made a clear decision for her. And she was in a hotel and the doorman basically spat in her face and said, why did you do such a shit version of why can't we live together? And I think it was like a moment of aggression where she realised that if you're famous, people think that they know you and they think that they own you and they can say what they like to you because you've put yourself on a stage. And I think she just felt like, I don't want that to be part of my daily life, having to deal with people's opinion like that. I actually had a really interesting interview with Rylan Clark. I don't know if you guys know, Rylan Clark is a presenter, but he, presenter who had a really interesting career journey going from a reality TV star. He originally started on The X Factor where he was like most hated for being not particularly good and doing really weirdly well. Anyway, he did an interview on Annie Mack's podcast where he talked about what he'd learned about fame and it was really fascinating. He talked about um, the fact that a couple of experiences had, one where he basically had a stalker who said like, I'm going to kill you. And then he ended up seeing the stalker and it was just like a young guy and it was, and he realised how basically how artificial people's responses to you are when you were famous. Your public persona is not you. And he chose to accept that and embrace that. And that's how he's been able to be so successful. And I think Sade, you know, on the opposite of that, also knew that same thing about the industry, but didn't want to be a part of it. It's all kind of just a game. The band's most recent album that I mentioned at the beginning, Soldier of Love, when they decided to start working on it, they actually kept it a secret from the record company just to try and give themselves the time and the space to experiment. But it was the same core crew, the same group of musicians. And for a week or two at the time, they would basically live at Real World Studios, which is Peter Gabriel's residential studios in Wiltshire. You have to Google the studio. It's so beautiful. Uh, Spindle actually did a project there recently and it's just in the middle of the country. It's got this like incredible glass wall over, over a kind of small lake. And Kanye West actually recorded some of Yeezus there. Uh, Harry Styles recorded his new album there. Tom Jones, Alicia Keys, Jay-Z. It's very much a VIP studio in the middle of the British countryside. And just to quote Sade is how she has to work. She said... I have to escape the mundane realities of everyday life in order to go there and dig down within myself. She said, at real world, you can't just say, oh, I can't work, I've got to go and cook a meal. You have no choice but to sit there and address the demons. 
The band then toured that album in 2011 and have worked on a couple of soundtracks since then, but that's it. So one I do want to mention was Flowers of the Universe, sorry, Flower of the Universe, which was a single created for the soundtrack to the Disney film A Wrinkle in Time. Uh, Ava DuVernay directed that new take on Wizard of Oz and I wondered whether it was the importance of Ava DuVernay as yes a creative visionary but also as a black woman that inspired Sade. Ava DuVernay was also the director of the film The 13th which with all the protests going on at the moment around the Black Lives Matter movement that film is getting another spotlight and is fascinating so yeah Ava actually reached out to Sade thinking there's no chance because she never makes music and <laughs> got the thumbs up. So to summarise, some lessons from Sade. Lesson one is that you can be successful in music without being public. Lesson two is the importance of being known for something. Identify a design or a process or a method that is your unique way of doing what you do and stick to it. Sade's famous for being resistant to collaborations, despite the fact that everyone wants to work with uh, her and the band. She says, I've never collaborated because I've always avoided working outside my safety zone. Lesson three, know your crew. So as I said, she's largely worked with the same core team of musicians and everyone outside of her and those people probably told her to do the opposite of that. If you found people who you have creative harmony with and you like the work you make, then don't feel the need to change it just because other people might think that it would be good for you. And I'm going to leave you with a little quote from Sade. It doesn't matter what anybody says about you. You are who you are in the end. Because in the end, I breathe and sleep and laugh and cry and all the things that everybody does. And that is me. Celebrating, uplifting the new generation. Some hot girls, you know the vibe. All the hot girls in the line.